That is Simple Minds with the great classic song, Don't You Forget About Me, uh, best known, I think, as the closing song, as the credits roll on that great 80s classic film, The Breakfast Club. And The Breakfast Club is a John Hughes film, and a lot of John Hughes films have a certain angle. And let me just sum up The Breakfast Club for you very quickly. It is the story of five teenagers spending all day, a Saturday, in the school library for detention, for whatever it was that they did. And these five teenagers come from five very distinct demographics within the high school. Uh, To be more clear, they would have never hung out together in the same room for such an extended time as this. And there are all these opinions about each other. They each have an idea, a narrative that they perpetuate about the other. So it is a movie about getting to know the other in our lives. And of course, the movie, over the course of the, you know, the couple of hours uh, that you get to watch this and we get to explore uh, the lives of these students, the walls come down, the veneers fade, the uh, social distinctions that separated uh, these students begins to drift away. Now, the big fear in the movie among the students is that on Monday, when school is back in session, that they will no longer be friends, that they will forget that they've had this moment together. It's a great film about walls coming down. My name is Derek. Uh, Welcome to uh, this week's sermon from an empty room. Today is August the 23rd, 2020. In the season of ordinary time, and our sermon today is aptly called The Breakfast Club, an unlikely community. So glad you could join us. Now, our passage today uh, will be our passage for the next three Sundays. We're starting this three-Sunday teaching, teaching set titled A Distant Community. It's the cousin to our last series that we just finished that we called A Distant Faith. We wanted to take a few weeks and explore and reflect on what the community of the church looks like in times like these. More specifically, the togetherness of the church in such separated times. Now, these next few Sundays are focused on God's idea of a new and alternative community where people from all sorts of backgrounds can find a place at the table and where people who would never normally be together end up sharing their lives with one another. And so, uh, with that, I want to get into our text for today and for the next two Sundays, which is from Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. Luke is the author. Of, uh, of this book of the Bible, and he writes these words. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, 
attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now, this passage is a very attractive passage. It gives us this attractive image of what the ancient church was capable of, especially uh, in our verses that we're going to focus on today, which are 44 and 45. Let me read those again. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. The example here is listed in verse 45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. Now, it's very easy to read something like this and think that Luke was just looking through a window and taking notes on a typical church service, but this is not actually the case. What Luke is actually doing is rendering up an image of what the church is both capable of and at times what it was known for as well. This is a picture of what the church looks like when the church is functioning at her best. And that's the key to not only understanding this text, but to applying it to our own church experience. It's a challenge of vision and hope. It's something we aspire to. We shouldn't read these ancient uh, descriptions of the church like this and think, wow, it was always, always like that. It wasn't. In fact, it was quite to the contrary. But when Luke says, and this is so interesting today, when Luke says that they had all things in common, let me say that again, the believers were together and they had all things in common. It's not entirely true. These people in the ancient church uh, were not alike across the board. But we do know from early church history, it was actually quite the opposite. These early communities were made up of very different kinds of people that shared, at times, very little in common socially, economically, politically, or otherwise. And Luke is saying here, look, this is what the church is capable of doing. This is what the church is capable of being. And this is what God has in mind for the church, that it would be a place where different kinds of people would find community and learn the ways of heaven and the rhythms of grace and the difficulties of eclectic communities. This is what Luke is presenting to us. This is what the church is capable of being, a place where even though we may not have much in common at all, we have all things in common. So, all things in common? Well, not really, but something of a vision for us. Years ago, when I joined uh, the staff here as the lead pastors, 2007, we had a couple move to Atlanta from Portland, Oregon. And uh, the husband, Chris, uh, was moving to Atlanta to finish out his uh, master's degree in photography and visual arts, and his, his wife uh, worked in the medical uh, field. And they became great friends of our church, and they were here every Sunday until they moved back uh, to Portland. And Chris had this saying uh, about our church uh, when he came, and uh, it went something like this. Chris said, we need to keep this church weird. Now, Chris came from Portland, and I know that that's a phrase in Portland, keep Portland weird. Uh, and so maybe it was a, an appropriated description 
of the church he was now a part of, but we loved it. We wanted, the, we wanted it on shirts. We wanted it on mugs. We loved the idea that not only our church was a little strange, but we had someone come in uh, as a new person and saying, look, this is what I'm observing, and I want us to keep it as weird as possible. It grew out of an observation of the unlikely friendships and connections that he saw in our building and in our church family. It was, uh, we had this uh, both young and old congregation, people in their 20s, people in their 70s, students, high school dropouts, the wealthy, the homeless, all of it. All of it found uh, its way into our building Sunday after Sunday and grabbed a bulletin and sat down and participated in worship as part of one body. It's a beautiful thing, but it was weird. Uh, I think about Catherine. Catherine uh, was this older lady uh, that was one of our greeters. And for some reason, we thought we would put bar stools at the entrance of the church uh, sanctuary, and that's what we did. And she sat on one of the bar stools, but every Sunday we watched her just sway back and forth and wondered if there would ever be a Sunday where she would go down. I mean, we literally talked about, can we install a seatbelt on uh, the bar stool? But more beautiful was the, the Sunday after Sunday scene of her, you know, hugging children, older people, the homeless gentleman, uh, handing out bulletins, saying good morning, and just welcoming people in to the church family. It's a beautiful yet strange scene. And I can't even begin to tell you the political tensions that existed and still do within our church family. People from all different parties. The band in particular at that time was just known as a hotbed for debate and tension about politics and about the issues surrounding certain policies of certain presidents and presidents wannabes, and you, I mean, the tension was high. But it was really kind of a beautiful thing, too, because even in the midst of that, those band members would still meet and pray together and pray for their work in the church and to pray uh, for the people of our congregation. As awkward as those rehearsals might have been at times, there was still this sense of unity. And so Chris would say, let's keep, let's keep this strange. Let's keep it weird. Now, there is a resistance to this, and you know this already, because sorting into people groups is what humans do very naturally. We gravitate towards people uh, who are like us in thought, beliefs, politics, and so forth. Even though we might feel quite strongly about the need and the beauty of diverse communities of people sharing neighborhoods and businesses and even churches, our social communities are more often than not, if we're honest, quite uh, homogenous. But when we look into the scriptures and into ancient church history, we see a different sentiment and a different hope. What we notice is this bent towards a new kind of community that is filled with all sorts of different people groups, but without all the social distinctions that cause stratification and tension. The Apostle Paul wrote these very famous words in Galatians 3, 28. He wrote, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, you are all one in Christ Jesus. Now, what Paul is not saying is that these 
people groups and types of people do not exist anymore. That's not what he's saying. But what he's pointing out is when we are together as a church family, the distinctions socially that define how these people are treated in society are no longer of any use in the body of Christ. Because each of these people groups mentioned in his list, and there are more, of course, but each of the people groups mentioned in his list all had their ways of being treated in society. Jews had a way of looking at Greeks, and Greeks had a way of looking at Jews. Slaves had a way of looking at freed people or their masters, and masters had a way of seeing and viewing their slaves. When Paul says there is no male and female, it's a very sweeping, radical statement because in the ancient Greco-Roman world, there's only one gender, and it's male. So if you're female in the ancient world, sorry about that, you hold no status in the social structure. But Paul says in the body of the church, in the community of Jesus' followers, those distinctions do not drive how we treat one another. Paul is not saying they dis- that these differences between people disappear, but the distinctions in the way that we treat based on those differences, that does disappear. Different, but not without the social distinctions that support all the normal stratifications that people experience. What Paul is saying is all of that's true out there, but not in here. Now, in closing, it's important to recognize that it doesn't mean that the church has always done this well all of the time. It hasn't. But to be truthful about it, neither has society. The us and them meter is running very high right now. But the church family is this weekly practice session of what it means to be a community uh, with the only identity being Jesus. Jesus at the center of a diverse community of people creates this new identity where people with all kinds of differences can somehow become a unified body of people. And I would say this, one of the most damaging things that we can do to the calling and the design of the church is to try and control the demographic. Let me say that again. One of the most damaging things that we can do to the calling and the design of the church is to try and control the demographic. The church has to learn to be comfortable with the uncomfortable feeling that it gets when there's different kinds of people in the room. The church is the place and maybe the last place where everybody has a shot at being loved and being embraced by the grace of Jesus Christ. The church might be the final community where all people can find a seat at the table and to experience the grace and the mercy of Jesus regardless of who they are. And I leave you with that, and I pray that as you enter your week, uh, that you will take these thoughts and these reflections with you as you begin to see Jesus in all people around you. Grace and peace. Peace.